think it's pretty amazing. I think our kids are pretty amazing. Okay, if you were not here last night, I'm telling you, I cackled like an old hen. I don't know. It was so funny. I can't wait. Matt, is it going to be, are we going to be able to like distribute or put online last night's thing? Okay, we will see how that goes. But if you missed it, you're going to want to watch and at least see the part that the kids did because it was uh, it was pretty hilarious and fantastic. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's good to be celebrating Advent and the joy that the season brings. I'm not sure that he was feeling much joy, though, because he was in a place that no one ever wants to be, prison. So John had lived his life proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. He was coming. He was going to be here. Remember last week, woolly man out in the wilderness proclaiming and baptizing, declaring that the Messiah was coming, that the Messiah would be there. John was there at the very moment when Jesus went under and came back up and the Holy Spirit descended and God spoke the words, this is my son. John saw it all, he knew it all, but John was in a pretty dark place. John had proclaimed the words of God He had done it in a bold and passionate way, and now he had found himself in prison. He denounced Herod's immoral marriage to Herodias, his half-brother's wife, and Herodias was mad. So he threw him in jail. And there John sits. When we're facing prisons in our own lives, it's interesting the things we can convince ourselves of. John is sitting there in prison and thinking, was it really worth it all? Is this, is this really the Messiah? Is it really true? Chad and I were talking about this passage of scripture in the car a couple weeks ago, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, we're talking about John, and da-da-da, and he questions if Jesus is the Messiah, and Hattie's sitting in the backseat, and she pipes up, duh, of course Jesus is the Messiah. I said, you should have been in prison with John. It would have saved his disciples a lot of trouble. Will you stand with me today for the reading of God's word from the book of Matthew? We're in chapter 11, verses 2 through 11 today. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, and so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go see in the wilderness? Was he weak, a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, no one is greater than John the Baptist. 
Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. The word of God for the people of God. The good news is being proclaimed. The good news is being proclaimed. John sits in prison, and I imagine that he couldn't find much joy there. He wasn't able to muster it up. But what was going on outside of those prison walls was a glorious and joyous thing. I think it's amazing that the book of Matthew talks so much about being a joyous people when Matthew himself was a disgusted, disgusting outcast of a tax collector. Nobody was interested in this guy at all, and yet somehow, somehow, through the marvelous way that the kingdom was revealed through Jesus Christ, a dirty tax collector becomes a disciple of Jesus. And Matthew begins to share the amazing and wonderful things that God is doing. If anyone knew much about being an outcast, it was definitely a leper. Leprosy was used as a common term to just kind of cast over anyone who had some form of skin disease. If your body showed, if your skin showed your sickness, you're out of here, buddy. It was Old Testament scripture that made it so. It required people with skin diseases to leave the community so that those contagious things wouldn't spread throughout the entire community. And in their pious religious action, they continued to cast people out, leaving the sick alone, living on the outskirts of all humanity. No companionship other than other lepers. But this man had heard. He had heard that there was this guy. This guy who was supposed to be the Messiah, who, well, his name was Jesus. And if maybe I can possibly just get close enough to him, I can be healed too. This unclean, untouchable, excluded from society man became healed in the presence of Jesus. Jesus was a healer, and oh, when healing happens, there is such great joy. What joy when we find that our sick bodies are now well. It wells up inside of us. We tell everybody, I was sick and now I've been made well. This leper wasn't supposed to do that. He was supposed to be a living proclamation that the Messiah had come, that the kingdom was reigning, and in the kingdom of God, the sick are healed. There is no more sickness in the eternal kingdom of God. I'm not sure if it, uh, I'm not sure if it happened very often that people changed their minds about who Jesus was. I mean, we see some places in Scripture, but it seems like those who were open were open, and those who were closed were pretty closed off. And most of the time, we find that the religious people were very closed off to the idea that anything could change about their understanding of who God was. And so the leader of the synagogue was not going to be a person that was going to be very easily swayed by a man who showed up and just proclaimed that he was God, forgiving sins and doing miracles. 
all kinds of things that they found detestable in their rules and regimen Jesus was doing. Picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? But something Jesus had done or said along the way had found root in the soul of this synagogue leader. His daughter was dead. Now, we don't know how it happened. We don't know when it happened. We're not exactly sure if he had known she was sick for a long time, and he just waited and waited and waited, hoping she would get better as Jesus was a last resort, or if she died suddenly and he knew exactly where to go. Either way, he shows up at the feet of Jesus. A Jesus who's proclaiming that if you want to be my disciple, you have to leave everything behind and follow me. And the synagogue leader shows up at the feet of Jesus and he cries out to him, my daughter is dead. My daughter is dead. My mother often reminds me that she is part of a club that no one should ever have to be a part of. No one should have to bury a child. And there he was in his most desperate and heartbroken moments. And he shows up to Jesus and he says, my daughter is dead, but I know. I know, Jesus, that you are Jesus of miracles. I know that you can do amazing things. I know that you can bring the dead to life. Jesus shows up at the house and there are people wailing loudly in their mourning clothes with funeral dirges playing. And Jesus says, will you cut it out? She's not dead. Like We know a dead girl when we see one. So Jesus walks into this girl's room and shuts everyone else out. And he simply takes her hand. Simply takes her hand. And what was dead is now alive. And this little girl who was gone has now come back. Oh, what joy! What joy, and if you have experienced the joy of Christ, then you know. If you've experienced the dead places of your soul coming back to life, oh, then you know the joy. The great, unspeakable, unfathomable joy of seeing God bring dead things back to life. And in the kingdom of God, there is no more death. No more dying. No more saying goodbye. In the kingdom of God, there is only life. And Jesus had come to bring the kingdom. It wasn't abnormal for the sea to be turbulent. Turbulencies were very, very normal. And if you got a boat and you put it out to sea, you were often watching very carefully to make sure that the lake wasn't all of a sudden going to turn into some kind of turbulent typhoon. I don't know if they didn't watch very carefully or if the storm just came up so very suddenly they had no clue that it was going to happen. What I do know is that they were all in a boat. It reminds me of the song that the kids sing with Jesus in the boat, you can smile in the storm. We can sing that one later if you like. You gotta like puff your mat, the storm. No? Okay, never mind. So with Jesus in the boat, you can smile in the storm. That's it. You can go home and listen to it on uh, 
on Pandora. So the, um, <laughs> the lake is filled with uncontrollable tor- turmoil, and the boat is taking on water. Matthew says it exactly like this. But Jesus was sleeping. What? Didn't Jesus know? Didn't he see that there was this crazy, insane storm that the water is coming and the wind is blowing and the boat is taking on water and death is imminent? Did he not realize the drastic and dire situation that they were in? Didn't he know? There's a t-shirt that says, Jesus napped, be like Jesus. That'd be a great next year pastor appreciation gift if anybody's thinking, taking notes on ideas. And in the middle of storms, like we often do, we look around and say, where is Jesus? And they say, Lord, crying out in desperation, Lord, save us. Don't you see what's going on? We're about to die. This is drastic. Why are you sleeping? Why aren't you present with me right now here in the midst of my storm? Don't you see it? Don't you see it, Jesus? Don't you see the storm? Jesus wakes up from his nap. And he responds with, Oh, ye of little faith, why are you afraid? And with what seemed like nothing at all, Jesus commanded the winds and the waves, and all was still, and the disciples were in awe. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And what great joy. What great joy when the storms of life all of a sudden are quieted by our Messiah. Oh, what joy fills our soul, what excitement we have. When we see that the sick are healed and the dead places of our life are risen to life. And when the storms that we face are quieted by the calm master of the universe. Oh, what joy it brings. But John wasn't out there. You see, John wasn't the man who was healed from leprosy. John didn't watch his dead daughter rise to life. John wasn't in the boat. John was in prison where he would die. This is the end of John's story. There is no more good news for John on this earth. The next scene that we see John in, he's being beheaded with his head served on a silver platter. What joy is in that? We really like the first half of this sermon better. You see, we get really confused about what joy is. Joy is not elated happiness or contentment with colored sprinklies on top. Unlike happiness, joy is not based upon our circumstances, and it's really not even dependent upon anything in this world. Our joy comes from an ever-present God 
and the Holy Spirit who is living in us. Our joy does not come from our circumstances. Because it's quite possible today that you are sitting in your chair and your health is dwindling. Or that you're facing some really big struggles right now when it comes to your health. You're waiting for test results and you don't know what they're going to say. The person that you love most is lying in a bed and you're not sure that you're ever going to have a conversation with them again this side of eternity. You feel like your whole life is waiting on the list for the next procedure, the next medication that will work better. Jesus, where are you in my sickness? How am I supposed to find joy in that place? Holiday seasons seem like this great pendulum of emotion. We feel great joy and excitement and happiness when we watch the faces of our kids open a present or, or watch them sing on a platform praises to our God. It fills our hearts and our minds and our souls, and then it swings the other way. Or maybe this last year, you lost a loved one. There'll be a seat empty at your Christmas dinner table this year. Jesus didn't raise your dead one to life. Instead, here you are, smack a dab in the middle of a season that's supposed to be filled with joy, and you are filled with grief, and you're going, okay, God, where is the joy I'm supposed to feel? Because right now, I just feel dead inside. I've been there. Storms come in all shapes and sizes, and it doesn't just mean wind and raves, waves on a lake. For you, it, it might be a job that's just killing you. Or the fact that you just got a pink slip, got laid off right at the time of year when you really needed that paycheck most. Your marriage has ended or it's on the rocks. You can't really see any hope in your spouse anymore and you're struggling to even find love there. You're not sure how the next bill is going to get paid. Or in all honesty, you're just getting older, and your body hurts, and you're tired. You say, Jesus, here I am in the middle of this storm. Where are you? Are you sleeping? Can you hear me? Are you even listening, God? Do you see my storm, the winds and the waves, and they're coming in the boat, and I think I'm going to drown? Where are you? And you feel as if the storm is never going to end. Where is the joy in the storms of life? You're not finding healing. 
you're grieving and hurting, when the storms are raging, you're in a prison cell, I have good news today. Jesus brings joy in prison cells. He shows up in our hurt, in our brokenness. When we're feeling overwhelmed. When we just want him to fix things. When we can't stand one more doctor's appointment. Jesus brings joy. And it's not this temporary kind of earthly joy. It is an eternal kingdom-sized joy. Oh, people of T.C. Naz, Jesus is coming. Jesus has come, and he is coming again. Oh, and the joy, the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Our strength when we are broken, when we are hurting, when we are lost. He is our joy. I think one of the hardest things to do is to spend time in the quiet with our Lord when we are hurting. It's almost like, um, like my kids, whenever they do something without asking permission, and they're like, well, I knew if I'd asked you, you'd just say no. It's like if we, if we show up in God's presence, we already know what he's going to tell us, right? And we're going to be faced with the reality of how broken we are. We sit in the quiet with the word of God before us. And sometimes we sit there and we don't even get the words out. Like we just have set aside this time and all of a sudden we open the word and we go, the first words on the page are, oh Lord. And we know the minute that we do that, it's all going to come rushing in on us. And we're really good at being strong. We're really good at being strong and tough and self-sufficient, but that's not going to bring you joy. It's not. It's just going to put pretty wrapping paper on a broken package. What will bring joy in the broken places is allowing Jesus to fix what's inside. Allowing him to come in. Inviting him into my brokenness, oh Lord. allowing the Holy Spirit to speak and to move. That is what brings us joy. That is why this season is filled with joy, because just like Charlie said, and I didn't even pay her to say it, Jesus is everywhere this time of year. <laughs> He's all over the place. You can't miss him. Except for our Jesus. He's still missing. I don't know where he is. He's still... He's with us. He's everywhere. It's not even like we have to look very hard. Jesus, the Messiah, the kingdom has come and is coming, and that kingdom is a kingdom of justice and joy. Oh, joy. I'm going to invite Alan, Vanessa, and Marigold up this morning, and they're going to lead us in the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. 
It's a fantastic hymn with beautiful words. And if you haven't heard it before, I encourage you to, to sing along or maybe watch the words. I'm going to have everyone stand here in just a second. But it might be today that there is no joyful, joyful that can even exit your lips because you're not feeling very joyful today. You're not sensing that. You're feeling more like the broken person in the midst of the storm who's in prison. That person, yeah, you're feeling more like that. I just want to open up the altars today. I know there's some trees there. You can use the steps or the whole front row is empty now. So just come and kneel. If you're seeking joy today, I'll tell you where you can find it. The only place you can find it. In the Lord our God. You stand with me today and sing. The, uh, if, you, if you're able to go home or maybe later today, read the last verse of the song. For we find joy in all places, always, when God is in our hearts, when he's moving in our lives when he's speaking to us. Maybe you didn't come today, but I would encourage you this week to take a moment to be silent before the Lord. Allow him to come into those places, the places that are turbulent, the ones that are imprisoned or dead in your heart and soul. Invite him in. Let him move. Experience the joy of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for a chance to be here in this place. Oh, we thank you, God, that you didn't leave us here to fend for ourselves, but you said Christ. A babe born in a manger bringing the kingdom, giving us a taste, a glimpse of what eternity with you will be like. So today, God, I ask that you will continue to be with us, that your light will shine, and that your exuberant joy will fill our hearts and souls. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. T.C. Naz, as you go from this place today, may the joy of the Lord be your strength. Amen. You are dismissed.